Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are with us, God. Lord, that we can be still and know that you are God. That you are doing work under the surface. Even when we don't see it, Lord, you're this, this way maker, God. God, we love you. Lord, we, we, we thank you. We praise you that you are at work. God, and I ask today that you would be at work in each of us, Lord, that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, and that we would hear from you, Lord. Right now, we, we just pray together, Lord, that you would clear away any distractions in our homes. God, and that your voice would be heard in our lives. Lord, may you clear away any technical difficulties, any any problems that, that might get in the way of us, us hearing from you and what you have to teach us today. And Lord, we just pray for the, the different people on the screen. And I invite you guys that are here with me to, to pray for somebody. Find a picture of somebody on your screen. And I just want you to lift them up to God today. Lord, we ask that you would bless this person. That you would speak into their life, Lord. That your, your spirit, your, your presence, your peace would fill their home. God, we, we lift them up to you, Lord, the burdens that they're carrying, the hurts that they have, Lord. We bring them to you. And we ask that, that we would see you come through. We ask that we would see you work, Lord. Lord, and we, we just want to thank you for the work you've already done, Lord. We thank you for the gifts you've given us, Lord, for the families, for our homes, for life, the air we breathe, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the work you're going to do. We pray that you would strengthen that faith, Lord, strengthen our hope and our trust in you. We love you. We praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and jump into our, our passage for today. We are continuing on in John, and we are in John chapter 11. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to find your Bible, if, if you would. We will also have this on the screen, so we feel free to, to follow along on the screen. But it's, it's nice to have, I, I like having a, a physical Bible in front of me because like, this is, this is precious to me. This is God's word. And um, I love his word. And this, I have the words of eternal life. He, he speaks to me from this. So go ahead and, and if you have a minute, um, find your Bible. Maybe you need to find a notebook to write on. You want to take some notes while we're, we're sharing today. And we're going to read together from John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 45 on down to verse 57. So John 11, verse 45 through 57. It says this, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, and had seen what he did. And I'm going to give a just a little snippet, actually, background before we get too much into this. Last time we read early on in chapter 11, 
we had a miracle that took place. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so this is the context we're coming into. And, and this is after this, people believed in Christ because they saw what he did, that he raised a man from the dead. And so this is where we're coming in on verse 45. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed, the disciples. <laughs> now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word, God. We ask that you would speak to us and through your word. God, we ask that we would hear from you. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through the, the book of John, there's been this continuing theme Maybe some of you have noticed it. Um, we've been hitting on it over and over again. This, this idea of belief. And John starts and it continues through his whole book, this, this emphasis on belief. And actually, I, I decided to do a little research. The occurrences of the word believe in the Bible. It occurs 271 times in the whole Bible. And 90 of those times are in the book of John. We see this kind of amazing that one-third of the times that the word believe occurs in all of Scripture, it's in John. John is, has this, this focus and this intent on this need for us to believe. And, and he begins with this. And in, in John 1, he shares about John the Baptist. And how John the Baptist comes and says, there's a man sent from God whose name was John. And this is not the guy who wrote the book of John. This is a different John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the life that all might believe through him. So 
right there in the very beginning. It's like the intent of John the Baptist coming is that they might believe. And you go all the way on to the end of the book. And I know I'm jumping forward to the end of the book. We haven't gotten there. But he, he ends the book with this. He says that there are many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And he, he bookends his book and all throughout. He's always coming back to this idea of belief. Probably one of the most well-known verses in all of scripture in John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is John 3, 16. That whoever believes... In him should not perish, but have eternal life. John is really focused on this idea of belief. Why is John so caught up on this idea of belief? And his whole book is geared towards that we might believe. That we might believe. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That we might believe this this message that he has given to us. And uh about a year ago, reading through John, I was actually reading through it with, with Scotty early in the morning on Sunday morning. We were reading through like 10 chapters at a time. And this, this passage stood out to me in John 6. John 6, 20 and 29 says, And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. That you, that you what? That you believe. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Usually when we're, we're thinking of, you know, what work do I need to do? God, what do, you, what do you have for me to do? We're thinking of like this like physical work, right? Man, we're, we're thinking like, okay, you want me to go preach the gospel, right? That's, that's the work of God. You... you you want me to go help the poor. That's the work of God. And those things are also the work of God. But John brings it back to something else. He brings it down to this need for us to believe. That our main work is to believe. And so my question as, I, as we've been going through John so far, I've been looking at through these passages, kind of how that works. And one of the main things is what are the, what are the barriers that we have to believe? What are the things that get in the way of believing? And I believe that as John's going through this book, he's, he's kind of addressing some of these different things. Um, I'm going to look at some of, the, some of the obstacles to belief. And, and we've, we've been going through these as we've been going through these passages. Um, one of the... One of the first obstacles that we have, we have seen to believe and one of the main ones that we deal with is shame. Shame, shame is, a, is a barrier to believing. Um, with shame, we think that God can't accept us because of what we've done. We think that somehow his, his love, you know, it, it might be man, he, he forgives us and maybe he forgives other people, but we're not quite sure 
does he, can he really forgive everything I've done? And, and we almost make our sin greater than, than Christ's death on the cross. We make our sin greater than God's sacrifice. And a good example of this in, in John was the woman at the well. We see the woman at the well as she's sitting there and she, she has had relationship every relationship. When Jesus says to her, go get your husband, she says, I have no husband. And, and, and Jesus says to her, she says, I, you are right in saying you have no husband because you've had five husbands and the man who you're with now is not your husband. He gets right to the heart of her shame. And there he accepts her anyways, even though culturally a Jew wouldn't have even been speaking to a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. And Jesus steps in and he meets her in the middle of her shame. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is a barrier to you believing, know that. I ask you receive that. Say, God, I want to work on knowing that you love me even when I'm at my worst. That you died for me. You expressed your greatest love for me when I was at my worst. Our shame can be a barrier to us believing in Christ. Another, another main obstacle that, that we deal with in, in believing is, is our pain. We wonder how God could love us when he has allowed us to go through such hard things. Why, why, would I, why would I trust God? Why would I believe him? He let this happen to me. He let me get hurt. He let me get taken advantage of. He let me go through sickness. He let me go through heartache. He let me go through loss. He let me go through poverty. And we have this question... Who, who is this God? And why would I believe him? And last time I preached, we looked at how this kind of comes out and the story early on in, in John chapter 11 with the death of Lazarus. Martha says, she says to him, God, if you would have been here, if you were here, actually in verse 21, she's Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Basically, where were you? Where were you when, when I was going through this loss? You allowed that to happen, Jesus. Man, and you think of Lazarus. Lazarus went through the, the pain and agony and suffering of not just sickness, but death. And, but further on in the, in the passage, in verse, in verse 5, John 11, verse 5, says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It says that he, he loved them so much that he waited. And, and you're like, how can that be? How can his love cause him to wait? And what we see in the passage that 
his his desire was that they might believe him from seeing him bring them through their hurt and that that would be that would be the catalyst and the basis for their belief he actually allowed them to go through hurt so that he might grow their faith he might grow their belief and so that they might be able to withstand future hardship and that they would be strong in knowing my redeemer lives and god is my strength he is my source he is my portion and no matter what the world brings at me he is still good i have seen his goodness he is the resurrection he is the life and now that is not an easy answer I acknowledge that. I know that. I know that in my own life. Many of you know that in your own life. When we are dealing with pain, when we have things that we have gone through that still hurts or things we're going through now, it is very hard for us to believe that God loves us. It's very hard for us to believe the gospel in those places. And I believe that's that's why John gets tells us in, in 6, 28, 29, says this, this is the work. This is our work, is that we believe. And now I want to bring us to our passage for today. In our passage today, we we find something really interesting. Is that if you see there at the bottom, my question is, what barrier to belief were the Pharisees facing? And what's interesting is the Pharisees in Scripture, and, and John specifically, are constantly at this place of unbelief. You know, we, we see people coming through pain and shame to believe throughout John so far, except for with the exception of one, and that'll be kind of helpful for us, is which was Nicodemus. But we see the Pharisees really having a hard time believing. And, and so my question for us, what, what was their barrier to belief? And as I look at the, the places that belief comes up in this passage, actually, the first thing that we see is that the Pharisees were afraid of people believing. They, they're not even aware of their, their problem of their own unbelief. They are afraid of other people believing. They're saying, if he continues on like this, everyone is going to believe him. If, if, if Jesus continues doing his miracles like he did, he, they just heard that he raised someone from the dead. And instead of believing, what do they do? They're ready to put him to death. What in the world is going on there? What is happening in them that they would hear such amazing news and they would be ready to lash out in such a way? I find it quite fascinating. And I think it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees as these like really bad guys. Right? And they, in all fairness, they are like out to kill somebody. As well. But I think 
we need to, let's step into their, their shoes for a second. Pretend that you are in their position as a Pharisee. You, you'd done everything right to the best that you could. You did everything your parents told you to as best as you could. And when you didn't, you sought forgiveness. You offered the right sacrifice. You, you went to the school your parents wanted you to and where you're expected to in society. You even married the person that your parents and that your religion had told you you were supposed to marry. You'd done everything you were supposed to do. And now you have this position of authority to keep God's law as best as you can and to ensure that others do the same. This is the situation the Pharisees are in. And what, what is Jesus bringing that is causing them such pro, a problem? And I think what Jesus is doing, he's threatening something. He's threatening something very deep in the core of their being. How, how do we know he's threatening it? Because we see their responses that they are ready to put him to death. They're ready to lash out. And they are afraid. They are afraid of what Christ might do. And, and really what they're afraid of, they're afraid of people believing. What happens when someone believes Christ? Well, maybe they're not following them anymore. They're losing their own followers to Jesus. They're losing their people to Jesus. Fascinating. I think what we find a little later helps us to clue in a little bit what's going on in their heart. Is that the reason the, the Jews were there early, the reason the Pharisees were here early, was to purify themselves before the Passover. They were there to purify themselves. And while they're there to purify themselves, what are they doing? They're plotting murder. How does that work? How does, how does purifying yourself and plotting murder work in the same frame of mind? Well, I think it makes sense we consider who is the one doing the purification. They were. It's my job to hold myself together. If it's my job to, to keep this sense of my self-image intact, I got I to gotta purify myself. I got to justify myself. I got to keep up this illusion that I got it all together. But at the core of it, it's very fragile. The core, it's very broken. And maybe we can relate to that. Maybe you have, whether it's, it's some position you might have, it's your job and you feel like you're just an imposter. Maybe it's as a parent. And you have this need that you have to be a really good parent. And when that idea gets threatened, you're ready to lash out. If anyone dare accuse you that you're anything less than perfect. When, 
we, we look at these things that we hold in our mind that give us our sense of worth, our sense of identity, our sense of value. And we are striving and we're striving and we're striving to find that validation, to find that worth, to find that significance. What is going on there? Well, I think what's going on is we're trying to cover over our shame and we're trying to cover our, over our pain. And instead of, instead of God being the one that is going to come in and rescue us, we are rescuing ourselves or we are looking for something else to rescue us. Maybe our position is going to be our God. Maybe our, our success will be our God. Maybe somebody else in our life is going to be our God. And really all it is, is it's like this, this tape on my vacuum cleaner. And it's, it's holding something together that's actually broken at its core. And we are constantly trying to keep it together. Because, you know, anything, if I'm not always that great at fixing stuff. And I feel like anything I fix, I have to keep fixing because it keeps falling apart. And I have to be very careful around the thing that is broken. Earlier, about two weeks ago, I actually broke my arm. Some of you know this. Um, it's not in a cast. It's a fractured radial head, and they don't do that for some reason. And I was skateboarding. I fell, and I knew it wasn't good. My arm was broken. I, I was. I didn't even want to think that it was broken. It dislocated, and I'm like, no, it's not broken. It's not broken. And luckily no one was around to see me but even with in the pain whatever I didn't I didn't want to admit what I had just done I didn't even want to go to an emergency room because you see there was something else that was broken aside from my arm it was my pride my dignity and I had to cover that I so wanted to cover that I don't want people to know that I was, I was dumb enough to be starting skateboarding at 33. Man, I, I got to protect that. That's got to be my own little secret, right? I don't want to hear someone tell me how foolish I am. Man, I don't want to go into the ER and deal with their questions. Why were you doing that? You see, when something is, is vulnerable, that's when we feel threatened. Who can think of the last time you felt threatened? Maybe somebody said something to you. They questioned your authority or they questioned something you had said, whether you were right or wrong. Maybe, maybe they corrected you. And inside, you kind of felt that thing boil up where you're like ready to fight. Because what was really there was just wrapped up with some electrical tape. And I think these things that we look to medicate or there's so many words we can put around it, hold together our pain and our shame. I'm going to give them a word. 
And, and I'm going to call that idols. Those are our idols. So we talked about shame and pain being a barrier to us believing God. I think our idols are another barrier that get in the way of us believing God. I believe this was the barrier for the Pharisees. That they had an idol of their position. And and Jesus was threatening that. Their position and their power that they had, that was giving them their sense of self-worth. That was telling them how good they were. And sometimes our idols do this okay for a little bit. And then if it gets threatened, then, then we, that rises up. Other times our idols don't do this very well. Maybe you have someone in your life that you have been looking for to tell you that you got what it takes. You're looking for that affirmation. And you're, you're fighting for it so hard. And when you don't quite get it, Man, you're you're devastated. You're devastated. You are angry because they are threatening your very sense of self, your very sense of self worth. I get this down to this: it's the image of God in us. There's a word in Latin. It's imago dei, means image of God, and this idea that in Genesis, when we were created, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that in the image of God. In his own image, he created them. He created them in his image. You are created in God's image. Do you know what that means? It means that you're worthy of love. You're worthy of respect. That's what it means you're in the image of God. And yet, we we have a hard time holding on to that. And the reason is, is because we're broken. The fall happened. Sin entered the world. Sin entered our lives. Pain and shame in our lives gives us a hard time believing that we're actually worthy of those things. And so we start looking for for these idols to tell us that we're worthy of love. We start looking for these idols to tell us that we're worthy of respect. When God says in his son, when he sends him into the earth to take our place on the cross. Not because of anything that we've done. He says in that action, you are worthy of my love because I created you and he restores that. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one who can tell you who you are. Do You know that? Can you repeat after me that God is the only one who can tell me who I am? God is the only one who can tell me who I am. Not my position, not anybody else around me, but just God. He's the only one. And and so when that's the case, when we when we realize this, we can take off this tape that's kind of been holding it together. I don't, I don't need that person to tell me that I have worth. I don't need my position to tell me that I have value. 
God himself tells me. He told me on the cross. He told me loud and clear. He says, I love you. I love you and you're all right. You're okay. You know, he, he delights in us. He looks at us and he says, man, like I created you unique. I created you special. And I, I love you so much. I'm going to close this out here um, with a verse, uh, Zephaniah 3.17. You want to open it up and you write this down. I'm, I'm going to pull it up here. It says this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Think of that. That is God telling you who you are. He says, I rejoice in you. He looks at you and he exalts over you. And I go back to what we started with Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. <laughs>